Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Hey, listeners. Hello from the waning days of 2020. What a year it's been to exist. Am I right? If you're hearing this in 2021, hey, how's it going? Uh, hope a little better than the last nine-ish months. We are working on a new season of Science Rules, but it's not hard work. That's right. Interviewing all these cool scientists makes us, honestly, happy as clams. And they are happy. You've seen them oh, smile. But clam, clams are happy. Uh, they're so happy, in fact, that we wanted to share with you one of our very favorite episodes that we've ever done. And it just so happens to be about clam. Uh, no, about about happiness. Happiness. We hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Science Rules. This on. Hello? We're all science people. Science! Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. We can teach kids and they get it. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. That's the recipe for success. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome, welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show, and if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, the number to call is 470-ASK-BILL. That's 470-275-2455. 470-ASK-BILL. To find out when to call, check me out on the electric internet. All the kids are doing it. And uh, send us your questions and comments to askbillnye.com. I am once again joined, of course, by science writer, editor, and dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Hello, Corey. Hello, Bill. Bill, I am so happy, so very, very happy to be on the show, as always, but especially happy today. Uh, as well you should be, Corey, because we have with us today a happiness expert. Oh, She's yay. a professor of psychology and cognitive science at Yale University and host of a podcast called The Happiness Lab, Dr. Lori Santos. Welcome to Science Rules. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So you, you teach a course about happiness. I teach a you course about happiness. You study happiness. 
So I define happiness the way social scientists do, which is in two parts. It's how you think your life is going and how you feel in your daily life. So it's kind of how you answer this question, am I satisfied with my life? Am I happy with my life? That's how you think your life is going. But then how it's really going is how you feel in the moment. Are you feeling positive emotions like tranquility and laughter? Are you feeling lots of negative emotions, things like anger and sadness? All right. What makes us happy? Um, what makes us happy, it turns out it's not what we think. This is a spot where I think you really need the science because our mind gives us these intuitions about the kinds of things we should be doing to be happier. But it turns out that most of those intuitions are wrong. Isn't it get more money? That's the main intuition, I think. You know, I think if we put to your listeners a poll of like, what's the number one thing that would make you happy? It's get money. Right. First it's money or then it's love. Yep. Money, love. You know, I, I teach college students, so they put really high good grades. Like that's on right. the list. Turns out all of those things are just simply incorrect. Like people who are richer aren't necessarily happier. Once you get your basic needs met, money is not going to work. Same thing with relationships. It turns out that, you know, when you first wind up in a romantic relationship, yeah, things are good. But you kind of go back to baseline pretty quickly. So I want to start from a basic understanding. What is happiness? How do you measure it? Because How do we to measure me, happiness? To me, like I, I often don't even know if I'm happy. <laughs> we, have, we, can, we can have like a well, conversation later. Well, you're me miserable. <laughs> No, this is a huge problem, right? You know, for other areas of science, we have these great tools for measuring stuff. For happiness, it's trickier. I would love if we had, you know, if another one of your guests could figure out some sort of thermometer for happiness where I could stick it in someone's mouth and know. Don't we have a brain scan of some kind that we could scan brain-wise in terms of? Yeah, we do have brain scans, but we have to know what those brain scans are measuring. So we're back to square one, right? You know, imagine I get some brain readout that says something and I'm like, well, does this predict happiness? I still have to know whether you were happy or not when I got that brain scan. Well, could we, speaking of happy or not, could you figure out what makes you not happy? That's one thing and, to do. But again, we're at the same we're at the same problem. And, and the problem is we have to ask people, like, what the scientists use are self-reports. And that's not great. I mean, I, I'm an animal behaviorist by training, and so I, I don't like the idea that we just ask people. But there are two reasons why asking people works. One reason is that it's really reliable, right? Like, it's actually we, – we, when you do these self-report quizzes, they can look like kind of a cheesy BuzzFeed quiz. But it actually turns out it's a scientific instrument, which correlates with all this other stuff. When you say a quiz, this is 60 questions or something. It can depend. There's one that we use that's a, called PERMA, which measures um, different aspects of your emotion and meaning. It's a 23-question quiz. Um, there's some that are just one question. Um, there's one that gets at what's called life satisfaction. And the question which I can give you is this, all things considered on a scale of one to five, how do you think your life is going right now? And you get useful answers just from that one question? What's amazing is that even though they seem like silly questions, those things correlate with if I did a text analysis of your journal entries and tried to pull out positive words. They correlate with detailed interviews that I could do of your friends and family members. Um, and then in some cases where we do have some brain imaging hints, they do correlate with things like certain brain states over time. Okay, you said you're an animal behaviorist, which is a thing you can be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you get into studying human happiness? Yeah, my, my day job is studying monkeys um, and studying what monkeys— And that's why you came to this show. Exactly. Am I out. right? <laughs> We're, we are very gentle primates here. Yeah, you know, happy primates. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, so, so, so that was what I did mostly. But, but I got into the happiness work when I took on a new role at Yale. I became one of their heads of college, which meant I lived on campus with students, kind of in the trenches with students. And that's where I saw it this. sounds depressing. Well, it is depressing right now, <laughs> in part because we're in the midst of this mental health crisis. Um, I mean, when I thought about living with college students, I thought, you know, college students, they're happy, they're young, they're doing interesting things. No, they're miserable, wound up. I mean, 
Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, they're, the students today are much more depressed, anxious, stressed out than I remember being. And I found that really frustrating in part just because it's not the way you should be in college. You should be curious and doing cool stuff. The more depressing thing was a scientific problem, which is that we know a lot from positive psychology about the things you can do to feel happier. And it just looked as though these students were prioritizing absolutely the wrong stuff. So what was your transition to a, a happiness researcher? You're looking at presumably happy dogs and happy chimps. What brought you to happy people? Yeah, it was it was just seeing these students who I was— Yeah, yeah, tell us about the students, the students, the students. The students, the students, yeah. So, so as a head of college, I'm, like, hanging out with them, and I just hear how miserable they are. You know, it's like, how's it going? It's like, oh, I just have to get through midterm season, or I just have to get through the next exam. They're just, like, fast-forwarding their life. And it just felt kind of sad, honestly. And so I did a kind of quick retraining so I could develop this class. You know, I started doing more on the research in positive psychology and on, on all this stuff on the science of happiness. And I was I mean, like— you trained yourself— yeah, kind of. I mean, you know, I was just teaching an introductory class, right, you know, which, you know, I'm a psychologist by training. I hadn't focused on that side of stuff, but, you know, I knew enough of it that I could develop the class. Um, and as I got more and more into it, I realized, like, you know, these everyone's doing it wrong. You know, the stuff that we and our society tell us to focus on, it's not the stuff that seems to be leading to lasting happiness. And, and especially for our students who are obsessed with grades and internships and getting a, a perfect job and perfect working. Some networking, networking yeah. circling back. Are they pinging? Yeah, yeah they are don't. They, are they disrupting? Are they get involved in disruptive tech? <laughs> they, they want to be. You know, they think that's the way to happiness. But no positive psychology study I know of says that disruptive tech is the way to happiness. <laughs> Even if you circle back and touch base, yeah, and, and so, take a meeting and do lunch and roll calls. <laughs> It's almost like you live at Yale, Bill. I don't know about this. You're down with the lingo. This this is why Bill is so happy. Don't you understand? (laughs) No, but but seriously, what's different from what you expected? Yeah, the the honest answer is causally why we're in the midst of this mental health crisis, we don't know. There's, There's lots of culprits. So one culprit is technology, right? That if you watch how my students interact. So a second, I got to get this text. Hang on a second. Yeah. No, but this is exactly right. We How often do we break up real life, in real life social connection to do something on a tiny screen that kind of gives us the illusion of feeling connected? But but all the research suggests it's almost like a, like a NutraSweet connection. It feels like we're connecting, but we don't kind of get the there there from it. Now, can we actually document this change? Can, I know anecdotally, we can certainly see that people seem less happy and more stressed out. Are there metrics of that? Yeah, again, all, mostly self-report, right? But but in that case, we actually have e- even better things in self-report. Um, we have, you know, the real statistics of how much we get mental health usage in colleges. Um, sadly, we have, you know, suicide rates um, that are going up. And the statistics are dire. So right now on college campuses, the last national survey suggested that 40% of current college students, more than 40%, are currently so depressed it's hard to function. And almost forty percent, forty percent, and almost two thirds report being overwhelmingly anxious most of the time. So you're teaching a class. Now, my understanding is you had you had a happiness class. You expected a few dozen people, but a few thousand or several hundred people. Is that right? Uh, just over a thousand. It was one out of every four students took the class. So when you look, so they did it in a stadium instead of a. <laughs> well, it was a concert hall. They, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> stadium was too cold. It's outdoors. Yeah. You know well, that gets you down. So uh, when you look out at your students, can you just tell who's miserable? I mean, statistically, like, you know, out of the 1,000 students, it suggests that around 600 are feeling anxious and feeling lonely. Um, The more scary statistic is more than one out of 10 has seriously considered suicide in the last year. 
your class struck a nerve that so many people showed up. Because uh, they're hoping to get happy, well, not just to study it. That would be just, yeah. oh, no, I'm just, uh, I'm just here to study it. Um, human sexuality, I, uh, I'm just uh, very interested in it. Very, yeah, I, 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 only, I only to... read the articles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but you, you use your students, I and mean, your students are not just passive participants in your class. Uh, that's part of what I found so interesting about this. How do you work with them? Yeah, well, we, we thought we – I mean, one thing that the science teaches us is that you, you you can know this stuff, but unless you put it into practice, nothing's going to change. Like, happiness comes from certain kinds of behaviors. And so we thought we'd try to allow the students to do those behaviors in class. Like, literally their homework was – we called them rewirements to rewire their habits. But we gave them this rewirement homework about doing the things that improve well-being. So take time for in-real-life social connection. Take time to savor moments. Um, do practices like meditation uh, and do random acts of kindness. Take time for gratitude. Like literally every week in the syllabus, they had to do one of these actions. And then and, you have them self-report so that you know how it's going? Yeah. So we, I assumed that the class was going to be like 30 people. So when I designed it, I had the students self-report and I thought, oh, I'll just collect it. You know, stupidly, I didn't realize we'd have one out of every four students. And uh, just don't say stupidly. Stupidly. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Unbeknownst to me. Although I will say all my colleagues in positive psychology said stupidly. They they wrote me long emails saying you had this moment where you could take the biggest sample size ever collected on these requirements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you um, well, did you do that? Well, we didn't really get it together in time, honestly. So so all I have is the anecdotal reports. We're doing that now. We teach a, a, an online version of the class, and we're collecting pre and post data on everyone. Can I watch it on my phone? You can, <laughs> although we recommend you watch you know, in real life with other friends. Bill, Dr. Santos, you know what makes me really happy? I have a feeling, but I'm not sure. Tell us. Uh, bringing listener callers yes. onto the show is something that yes. makes me very happy. Because you social get to, interaction. You get to, you get to, it's social interaction. You get to expand your horizon, bring in other points of view. And we have Kaylee on the line, who I think I, I, it's going to make me happy to have her on the show. Hey, Kaylee. Hi. Where are you calling from? Calling from Tennessee. Uh, where in Tennessee? Um, Murfreesboro. It's a little city right outside Nashville. Nashville. Like, there you go. <laughs> and yeah. you have a question for Dr. Santos. Yes. Hi, Dr. Santos. Um, I was wondering, um, so I just turned 21 last night. And oh, happy birthday. I, um, Are you hungover? <laughs> <laughs> I am. <laughs> um, but it's a I'm happy hangover. And, oh, yeah, for sure. And I want to know, is there a way that, like, how doctors do physicals, like, is there a way that we could get, like, our, um, you know, like, our happiness kind of... Uh, I guess, like, tested, um, like, the levels, you know, the way that they'll measure your health with a physical. Like, can they do that with your happiness levels? And if so, can they go from there and, like, tell you exactly, you know, like, the basic things that you might be missing, whether it's, like, a perspective or, like, lifestyle or actual, like, clinical stuff that needs to be taken care of? Yeah, no, it's a great question. The the great the, the bad and great thing about happiness is that scientists and doctors, we can't measure it any better than the person who's experiencing it themselves. Um, so you can diagnose your own happiness, which is great. You don't need a blood pressure cuff or you don't need to pay, you know, expensive physician fees to go in. You can kind of diagnose it. Um, you know, it's basically all things considered how happy are you feeling right now. And if you kind of just scribble down a list of different emotions from good ones like, you know, happiness and laughter and calm and tranquility to bad ones like anger and sadness, just say, you know, on a five-point scale, how are you feeling? 
And if you're kind of not feeling that good, it turns out there's lots of things you can do, lots of behaviors you can engage in to improve your happiness. Like um, what? Get a dog. Get a dog is actually one. Dogs dogs <laughs> definitely improve happiness. And, like and, a happy dog. Well, you know, maybe, yeah, I think happy dog's probably better. But, uh, but, but dogs improve happiness not because of the dog. It seems like the happiness improvements happen through other behaviors. You talk to people more when you have a dog. You get out and get exercise more when you get a dog. Uh, even if you're just talking to a dog, it feels like you have some connection. Oh, God, connection, so you know? that's my fear, I, <laughs> just to talk about I, me. I got, a, I got a pet butterfly, and it's making me happy. But that's a whole other story. In, a, <laughs> in the cage with the right plants and yeah, stuff? Yeah. Cool. I don't yeah. know if having a butterfly increases social connection, but maybe. So hang on. I imagine Kaylee, that's a more Kaylee, specialized Kaylee. test. Kaylee, how are you yeah. on a scale of one to five? How is your life going? Um, I think um, I'm at a three, I'd say, but I'm getting to that four. You know, I graduate in a couple months, so um, it's, you know, things are kind of intense right now with school and work, but... It's, I'm getting there. The sleep thing definitely is a big deal. Um, I've been prioritizing sleep for this final semester, even at the loss of some grades. But I think it overall definitely helps. Well, you know, one thing to know with the data show is that if you sleep more, your memory improves, your concentration improves. And in fact, there's evidence that college students who sleep more actually get better grades. Their, great, their GPAs, overall GPAs are higher. So it's a misnomer to think you have to stay up and study. Like, And I've seen this in my own students. I right. had one student in my class who was like, all right, this midterm season, I'm just going to get eight hours of sleep a night. Like, This is terrifying to me because I feel like I'm not going to be able to study enough. But that midterm season, he got the best grades he'd ever gotten. So so try it. it small does sample work. size. Small sample size. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so back to Kaylee's question. What about, I mean, can you study brain chemistry or can you study, you know, uh, you know, body language and body movement? Are those ways you can assess somebody's happiness? You can and they work, but ultimately we have to correlate them to something, right? You know, so for example, you know, I can look at uh, your brain imaging data. There's lots of brain imaging work on, say, meditation and the effects of meditation in the brain. And we know a lot about it. It seems like meditation reduces activity in the so-called default network. It's kind of your, your normal brain's autopilot. You use it less as you meditate more and more. And there's also a correlation that decreases in your kind of automatic processing in the brain leads to higher well-being. So people who kind of mind wander less report feeling happier. But I still had to ask you, do you feel happier, right? And so that's the problem is that we, we have these other kind of more sciencey seeming measures, but ultimately we only know that those are correlated with happiness if we ask somebody if they're happy. And okay, so, hold it. You're saying letting your mind wander makes you less happy? Yeah, this is one of the no, – not mind-wandering in a, the kind of sense that I think a scientist might think about it. You know, Dar Darwin in some sense used to walk around every day and let his mind wander. But it wasn't just kind of wandering randomly to anxious stuff. He was like specifically thinking about particular problems. That kind of so-called mind-wandering is fine. It's the kind of anxious mind-wandering or like, mm. oh, I'm thinking about lunch today or, you know, I'm trying to pay attention to something. And my mind's going off to some fight I had with my spouse or something like – when we're simply not paying attention, it turns out that that's less good than focusing on a particular task. Hmm. Uh, so, Kaylee, what are you studying? Um, I study uh, music. I'm going to get a degree in the recording industry. And does the music make you happy? It does. Yeah. I'd say it's probably one of the things that makes me the happiest. That's awesome. That means it's a, probably a good fit with, you know, a good career goal. So maybe you could be an engineer on a podcast. What more That'd could a awesome. woman hope for? <laughs> well, 
But here's here's the real bottom line question: Did being on this show, did these answers, has this made you any happier? Because the, we have no other way to know than your own self assessment. Yes, absolutely. I reporting satisfaction. All right. Well, <laughs> well thank you. Thank you for better. calling. Thank you, Kaylee. You're, you're making you our day. Thank you. No, no, you. No, we. No, thank you. Stick around for more science rules after this. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Science Rules is back. Well, here, let's, let's, uh, let's make another connection because we have another caller on the line. We have Desiree waiting for us. Uh, Des- Desiree, are you there? Yes, I am. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Minnesota. Where in Minnesota? Uh, called Big Lake, which is uh, about 40 minutes north of the Twin Cities. Near the source of the Mississippi? Yes. How cool. Uh, you, uh, yes. What's your question for Dr. Santos? My question is, is like, how, like, some practical tips on how to continue to to gain your happiness and to, you know, go towards it. Go from a 3.6 up into a 4.1 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then continue that, even in moments of stress, anxiety, and life changes. I feel like yeah. that's pretty much everybody wants that's to know pretty the much answer every, to that. Yeah. So, yeah, and, love to hear your answer. And the great news is, like, you know, we actually have some good studies on this. So the, the number one thing that happy people tend to do is that happy people tend to be social. They spend time with the people they care about. And they also just have, like, deeper conversations and connections, even with people on the street, (laughs) like the barista at the coffee shop. Now, this is not – I'm like, you know, I grew up very – feeling like I was a little introverted, you know, nerdy scientist. Like, this is hard for me, but I've been doing it more and more, and it actually works. Look how happy she is. I know. Like, you can't see, but I'm smiling ear to ear. My my (laughs) smile is beaming. But here's what I was going to say is – some of the most fun conversations I have are with people who are very close to me, and we talk about coffee. We talk about how the coffee should be prepared. We talk about really where do you get the best deal on pancetta? Really? Mm-hmm. Where is the best deal? And that goes on. That's a half hour. Yeah. And my guess is, like, you're passionate about it. You learn something. You know, like, just just today I came up here from Connecticut and I was on a train coming here. And, you know, I'm sitting around, like, you know, 50 to 100 people. And those 50 and 100 people have stories and ideas and preferences about pancetta and coffee and all these things. And I'm not engaging with any of that interesting stuff because I'm just sitting there silently 
not talking. The anymore. elevator silence. Right. Exactly. So Desiree, uh, how yeah. are how are you feeling today? Um, I'm like, okay. You sound a little <laughs> anxious. I'll tell you right now. You sound a yeah. little edgy, a little on edge, rather. Yeah, yeah. I've got some big changes coming, and you know, and just like mm-hmm. this big shift in life is about to kind of occur, and got a lot going on, and. What's, well, what's going to happen? What's shifting? Not that it's um, any well, of our I'm business. Starting, I'm starting. I'm going to start college um, in January. I'm going back. I already have an associate's degree in medical assisting, but now I'm going to go get a bachelor's in social work. Congrats. So, well, yeah. one, one thing and I have five kids. So. Mm. You have five kids. Wow. Yes, yeah, five kids. My oldest is actually going to be 18 on Christmas. You know, my youngest doesn't even start kindergarten until next year. So, you know, getting your college degree is something you wanted, to, you want to do, right? Getting an advanced, uh, more uh, uh, the next degree is something you want to do, right? So, the longest journey starts yeah. with but a single step. Right. So, Doctor Santos, yeah, I any mean, tips? I mean, one th- one one problem with what happens when we get stressed and we <clears> take <throat> on kind of new phases of our life is that the stuff that's working and making us happy, we sometimes drop that. You know, it's when we're stressed that we don't sleep. It's when we're stressed that we don't exercise. It's when we're stressed that we don't, you know, take time for the people we care about. I think, especially as you're starting this new journey, one thing to consider is making sure you like make time for the kinds of things that are working. And those are as a, things I just listed, you know, taking time for the people you care about, making sure you get in some sleep and some exercise, even just some time to be mindful, whether that's meditation or just taking some time for yourself. Those things really matter. And it's awesome that you can have a moment where you can put those into effect before you start this life transition. I think it'll make a huge difference. So do okay, you get enough you. sleep? Desiree, do you get enough sleep with five kids? Um. Actually, I do, <laughs> surprisingly. Um, my husband's a stay-at-home dad, so, you know, he tends to kind of take on more of the responsibility with the kids, um, caring where I is, you know, kind of take on, you know, the financial stuff and everything else. And so I do tend to go to bed around 9.30 and up, you know, about 5.30 to get the kids off and ready for school and everything and myself. So, Yeah. So why did you call? Um, just, you know, because, like, I, I just wanted to know, you know, like, how to, you know, kind of keep gaining the happiness because I don't feel like it's ever kind of coming or, like, I'm ever getting there. Like you sort of stay at the same level, better. but you never manage to move ahead? Yeah, or I go back. Yeah, and that's, and that's common. Yeah. I mean, what happens is we, we think that happiness comes from these big life changes, you know, like changing your job or changing where you live and that thing. But a lot of that happiness just allows us to go back to baseline. We, there is kind of a set point for happiness, and we tend to go back to it unless we actually engage in the sorts of activities that really improve our happiness, like increasing social connection, taking more time for gratitude, exercise and sleep. Those things don't seem to like allow us to go back to a set point. They give us these like relatively consistent increases. Desiree, thank you so much for the call. Uh, and I, I hope some of the tips here have been helpful to and you. Good luck. Your college is going to be great. Get her done. Oh, yes. Right. Yes. And, and be, yeah. right. And be attentive to all these other things. Uh, I'm, I'm still processing this advice here, but I think it's, you know, it, it is so easy just to sort of put those things aside. And, and as I'm listening to Dr. Santos, I'm thinking, yeah, wh- why am I not doing those more? Desiree, Desiree, thank you very much for calling. Turn it up loud. Mm-hmm.
So along this line of socializing, uh, taking care of basic needs, uh, a, a dear friend of mine uh, says grace before he eats uh, his meal every day, every meal every day. Uh, <clears throat> has that that tradition is kind of cool. And I do uh, every year. I spend a lot of time with people from Japan, Japanese guys and gals from Toshiba. And they have they don't say grace, but it's very similar, a very similar little ritual. They thank everyone who contributed to preparing the meal. Yeah. Uh, is that something that would uh, improve our happiness? Yeah, definitely. I mean, not necessarily grace in the religious sense, but taking time to experience gratitude for all these simple things in life. You know, like we're sitting here with coffee and water and things, and it's like, you know, unless— Headphones. And headphones, right? It's like, it's it's remarkable. We should have awe over the amazing technology and the stuff we have all the time. But we have—we we don't take time to just realize it and be thankful. And, and, and science shows that just the simple act of, like, taking time to be thankful can improve well-being. There's one study that suggests scribbling down three to five things you're grateful for every night within about— two weeks you show significant improvements in your well-being hmm. scores um so it doesn't take that much time you know like grace before a meal can just be like you know thank you for the food and you know like you know like it was great you know but it's just instead of making yourself be aware of it can really make you feel so, better. We, so we have a baseline but we also have an ability to deviate from that baseline what the study suggests is that there does seem to be this baseline for happiness there's a, there's levels of our well-being that tend to be relatively heritable but there's also lots of room to move those things around and what moves those things around are you know the simple act of saying grace at night, you know, talking to the barista at the coffee shop. Um, Nick Epley, who I mentioned before, has this metaphor. He says, happiness is kind of like, it's like a leaky tire on your car, right? Where it's like, you know, every once in a while, you got to like, you know, fill it up a little bit. And and those kinds of actions can be like air compressors. You know, they kind of increase over time and allow you to sort of stay stable. So speaking of this convergence or divergence or trying to sort out urgence <clears throat> of what you're born with and what you do. We have, I think, a fantastic question from Mike the Caller. Mike the Caller, are you out there, Mike? Yeah, hey, guys. Uh, hello, Mike. Where are you calling from? Uh, calling from Lafayette, Colorado. Uh, where's Lafayette with respect to Denver or Crested Butte or something? Uh, it's like two suburbs north of Denver. I'm like 20, 30 minutes north of Denver and about 20 minutes east of Boulder. You sound, oh, that's great. You sound happy about it. Uh, what's your question? Uh, yeah, I'm stoked. It's snowing right now. Things are great. <laughs> so, are it's be- so it's beautiful outside. You're a skiist? Uh, a little bit, yeah. 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 Hey, what's your uh, question? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so you, you guys have kind of been getting to it when you're talking about like a happiness baseline, right? And I've known a lot of people in my life uh, who, no matter what their circumstances are, are just relentlessly cheerful, and it really seems genuine. And I wonder if there's a genetic component to happiness in the same way that there is for, you know, mental illness like depression or anxiety. Um, are people who seem to always be happy, uh, are they naturally that way? Does that come baked into their heredity or their genes? Yeah, definitely. And, and the answer is this is a spot where you really have clear answers. There's definitely a genetic component to happiness. Like, in, in fact, it is hard to estimate, like, how much of it. Folks like Sonia Lubomirsky have said it's, you know, just under half or something like that. But there, there, it definitely is the case that there are heritable differences in people's tendency towards happiness. 
the good news is that like all kind of or like most sort of genetic traits, like, you know, the genes aren't your reality, right? We have epigenetics. There's deep interactions with how you behave, what your environment does, and so on. And so if you tend to be the kind of naturally not so happy person, the good news is there's lots of stuff you can do to kind of boost that up. It seems like what the genetic predisposition is, is things like how social you are kind of naturally, you know, how naturally does your mind gravitate towards the negative stuff? Well, good news is with like a little effort, you can move that around. Right. So, uh, Mike, are you a happy? You sound like yeah. a happy guy. Uh, yeah, I, I could go either way. I guess I feel like I'm I'm kind of in the middle. Most are you a three out of five? Sounds like uh, a four. Yeah, I think that's that's probably fair. Yeah. But if it snows in a lot, you might go into the fours. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, if I get in some good ski days, I'm feeling a lot better about life. Uh, uh, what is it you do that would not make you feel good about life? Uh, I, uh, I, I tend to be really extroverted and, uh, if I end up isolated a lot, so if I, you know, uh, have to sit in a room doing a monotonous task all day long like that, that wears on me a little bit. Like if you're doing a podcast over and over. <laughs> No, this podcast is very right, right, social. Right, yeah. It makes me happy, actually. Yeah, I know. Uh, that was uh, an irony. Uh, so, Mike, what is your business? Uh, do you sit in a room and uh, get depressed? Or do you teach skiing? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a rock climbing guide. Are you, are you a guide for rock climbing? Yeah, so you're, right. acti- you're active yeah. and you're social. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, lots of sunshine. So I'm not changing the subject. Did you see Free Solo? I did. Yeah, it's a great movie. So is would you say that guy's happy in a normal way? When he achieved this oh. amazing thing where he climbed to the top of this amazing thing without a rope, which he practiced and practiced and studied and studied, and what made the movie uh, watchable is he didn't die at all. <clears throat> but Right. But uh, when he achieved this goal, he was very happy. Are you happy yeah. when you get to the top of every rock? Are you happy, or is yeah, it just, I think so. or yeah, is it just I, I, I got to do this? Out of the achievement. Oh no, no, no! It's it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a chore at all. It's it's definitely a joy. I really enjoy it. Now, do you take joy when your students also get to the top? Oh, for sure. Uh, but really, it's more uh, to me. What I what I like about it is that you're adding something to somebody's life. Uh, that's like concrete. And so you're like measurably improving their life by teaching them a skill that they can go out and do and enjoy, you know, hopefully for the rest of their life. So that, that's, it's inherently social and that inherently makes you feel good. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he's he's pulling straight out of the happiness playbook, right? This is do, he's doing things that are incredibly social. There's a lot of exercise. It sounds like rather than liking the destination, he kind of just likes the grind. And he's managed to frame his career in a way that gives him meaning because he sees it as doing something great for someone. You know, he's teaching them to rock climb. He's teaching them to do something. So there's so no surprise you're pretty happy, Mike. Mike, you're giving us great guidance. Thank you so much. We should all yeah, consider absolutely. careers in rock climb guiding. Yes. <laughs> Consider them for sure. Yeah, for we, sure. Need to, we need to grow that economy a little bit, but you know. Well, uh, actually, it's. I think it's pretty. Like you make a good living, don't you, Mike? There's a lot of people into it. Yeah, these yeah, days. we do okay. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Mike. Uh, be careful up there. Science rules. We'll be right back. 
Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. So I think about my parents. Uh, I talk about this a lot. My dad was a prisoner of war, and he lived through it. And I think part of the reason he lived through it is I think he was funny. Mm-hmm. Not just what, Corey? Not just funny looking. Yes. Because, <laughs> ah. Bill, you definitely inherited one of those traits. <laughs> uh-huh. Take a look. It's perfect for a podcast. Look, check me out. So uh, I think that either in my experience, just talking to the guys that he was in prison or war camp with, there were there were two extremes that enabled people to get through this. My father, I think, was funny, took some things seriously, but other stuff maybe not. And then there's these just curmudgeon guys, just just ornery, and they're still ornery, and they live fine. You know, they have uh, all the food they need, whatever shelter, but they're just ah, just god. And so, is there anything to that where the extremes help you? This is my own personal. This is my personal. interrogative here. Yeah, yeah. I don't know data. I mean, the data would suggest that, you know, well, not necessarily a positive outlook, but humor for sure can kind of get you through stuff. Um, And and it's not, I mean, one thing that the science shows that is unexpected is that in bad situations, it's not always the like perfect, shiny, like Pollyanna, like happy, happy that gets you through things. Um, I think, you know, there's a certain amount of curmudgeonness that you need. You need to look honestly at the obstacles ahead. You know, this kind of old school notion of the sort of you know, the secret idea of like, you know, if you think good things, they'll come. It turns out that that seems to be based on the data pretty BS, right? Like you need, <laughs> you need to you need to be optimistic, but you also need to be realistic. You're just saying my, my visualization of becoming wealthy is not just that, that's not just magically going to happen. Well, yeah, you have to you have to pair that with a, 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 <laughs> a good, good look at the obstacles in <laughs> and, and your way. Uh, so, OK, uh, do we have a question from Tara? Are you out there, Tara? Hey, me? Yes, that's. Do I pronounce? Yes. Do I pronounce your name properly? Uh, you can pronounce it either way. Tar- I'm used to both. Do you call yourself Tara or Tara? Tara. Okay. Oh, there you go. Well, then, then Tara, you shall be Tara like Sarah. So, Tara, take it. What's your question? All right. Um, I'm just curious. Um, I am wondering if it is possible for a non-neurotypical to find a balance of happiness because I'm going for my ASD testing tomorrow. And I've, the past two years have been kind of a roller coaster, um, trying to find that happiness because I feel like my life is kind of missing that, uh, meaning like I'm forever looking for trying to do something for the greater good kind of thing Mm -hmm. that I feel like I'm not giving back to society. I'm not living because I don't really have, um, I struggle with connections and making long-term friends and whatnot. I don't really have the family connections either. Well, you've got a friend so in I us. Kinda, I guess I'm trying to... Oh, bless your heart, um, Bill Nye. 
I used to watch you growing up, so it's a pleasure to get to speak with you one on one. So, uh, Tara, mm-hmm. uh, what is yeah? it, on a scale of one to five? Where are you? You're at oh, a two. God. Probably it's two. Yeah. So there's so lots of room for improvement, which is exciting. I mean, <laughs> it's exciting. You know, I think one one thing to know uh, is that sometimes our our predictions about how things will go uh, in terms of social connection and those uh-huh. kinds of things they don't necessarily map on to what really happens. Um, and folks like Nick Epley and other scientists have shown that this is especially true for introverts. So introverts have this strong prediction that mm-hmm. social connection is going to feel really bad and that they don't really have any connections. And it's going to be really hard. In practice, when they try, it ends up being much better than they expected. Mm-hmm. And, and just the ease with which you're having conversation with all of us and your you know, childhood science hero suggests you know, you'll be fine. It, it might just take trying it out a little bit more. Um, but I'm also hearing that, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of pressure that it sounds like you're putting on yourself, you know, to kind of help people and so on. Um, for folks who go through something like that, taking time to be a little bit more mindful about what is working, about what you have done already to achieve mm-hmm. those goals, like th- that kind of can flip the mm-hmm. switch a little bit and can allow you to be mindful of the things that are going well. Little, you know, a little dose of gratitude might be really helpful to bump you up from a two to, you know, a three, maybe even a four or so. Is, is it helpful for... For us all to be doing a little bit of self-reporting to kind of monitor what days are good or, or bad days or what things are making us happy or not happy? Yeah, I think I think that's huge, right? Because we have these ideas about how we're supposed to be living our life. And those, I mean, really what the science, the biggest thing that you get from the science is that those intuitions are wrong, is that the things I think are going to work just don't. And, and I do this now all the time, not necessarily, you know, like actively writing down my self-report score, but just kind of noticing of like, huh, like after I had that conversation with somebody, I felt better or huh, after I just spent two hours, you know, scrolling on Instagram or like, you know, messing around on Reddit, like that didn't feel as good. Like, huh, after I listened to Bill Nye's podcast, like I'm kind of in a good mood. I feel feel great. I've learned something, right? Um, But but yeah, all of us can be doing that. And and, and the research shows you have to be mindful about it, right? You you have to actually pay attention. Mm -hmm. Um, You you can't intervene on changing your preferences unless you really explicitly notice them. And so it it pays to be mindful. Oh, wow. You can't intervene on changing your preferences unless you explicitly notice them. Which is So do you recommend sad. writing them down? That can work. I mean, and a lot of people get a lot of insight from things like journaling and so on. Um, some people even use these apps to kind of take, you know, take data on, you know, talk to a friend, felt better, you know, went on Instagram, didn't feel oh, so good. Um, the stars. This is one of the reasons we call our podcast The Happiness Lab. It's kind of like you're your own laboratory to test these things out. You know, I don't, you know, here's what the science says. I don't know what's going to work for you. You have to try it. Different things work for different people. You know, I think some people resonate more with, you know, this kind of taking time for gratitude. Some people really get a ton out of meditation. You're only going to know until you try for yourself. I recommend toy trains. So, uh, Tara, thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Journal oh, a little you. bit. Notice what makes you happy and focus on it a little bit. Flip the switch, you said. Flip the switch. Now, let me ask you, building on Tara's remarks, I have thought a lot about my parents who were both World War II veterans. Blah, blah, blah. They were thrown together. They were thrown in with people that they didn't know. And they had to get along to get this to get various tasks accomplished. Do you think we could benefit? And by we, I mean the United States could benefit from a national service where everybody had to participate in something that would improve the environment, improve our infrastructure, roads, uh, 
housing for uh, homeless people or or food for people and so on. Yeah, I mean, I think that that that's the kind of thing that governments can do to promote the things that promote happiness. I mean, first of all, then we, we need something like that to fix all these awful things like climate change and our infrastructure and so on. But there's lots of work suggesting that giving people a meaningful outlet in life is going to make them happier. So um, it sounds like what Tara was asking about. Yeah, I mean, I look back to, you know, so many of these, I, I work at Yale, right? So some of these Ivy League students, you know, what are they going to do after this? They're going to go work at a bank or in finance. They're going to try to make money. You know, I think back to the days of, you know, like 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 when we really had this like common purpose, right? When people joined the Peace Corps and that was the prestigious thing to do. If we, if we could set up a way that the prestigious thing to do would be to do things that are bigger than you, that are not focused on yourself, that involve helping others, I think it would make a difference in society, but I think it actually would make us happier too. What about doing it at Yale? We could do it at Yale. Uh, the problem is, the, the issue is that we're fighting, and this is a frustration of teaching this class, is that we're fighting lots of other societal forces. You know, honestly, it was ironic to teach a class at Yale that was saying, hey, you know, grades don't matter and money doesn't matter. And, you know, like, just take time to sleep and make social connections. And I was felt like I was fighting against the force of the whole institution that was telling them otherwise. And so I think, you know, societies can can do a lot and, and governments can do a lot in terms of thinking about policies that they can put in place to, to promote better norms and better ways of living. So, uh, you know, I became an engineer. You, you all can evaluate how good an engineer I am, but no one has ever asked me, hey, what did you get in heat transfer 324? <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't remember. I'm sure I got a grade. <laughs> what about fluid mechanics? Well, um, I'm not sure. <laughs> and just nobody asks you about that. I say to people all the time, so-and-so graduated cum laude. Big freaking deal. Yeah. Can you tie your shoes? No. All right, and so on. And, and people care. So, I mean, we had this uh, – so in, in class, we tried to get students to take the class, the Yale's version of pass-fail. I can't make them. They have to elect mm-hmm. to do it. And I showed them all these studies and all these data. Uh, so um, you're trying – this is another way you're trying to make your class into a lab? Yeah, it's just trying to see lab. if they'll do it. Um, and then the students, they're funny. You know, they, they know I hate grades, and so they, they make all these memes, you know, these little pictures with jokes on them. And one of the students made a meme that was like – me as the person in the matrix, and I was going to teach them what it was like to be to get bad grades by giving them all a bad grade. And so I showed them this picture. I got five calls from parents who were like, are you really going to give my students a bad grade? Because, like, that's not appropriate. And I was like, <laughs> everyone is missing. Like, the big <laughs> in case you wonder where, where the, where does where the pressure from? and stress is exactly. coming from. Yes. Uh, let's, let's take a course in irony. Uh, Bill, you know, you know, I've always enjoyed the rain, the lightning. It brings me a lot of happiness, but it also tells me that it's time for the lightning round. The in lightning our show. round. It's time for the lightning round. Woo-hoo. Dr. Santos, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's do it. Let's do it. What's the happiest thing you've ever seen a dog do? The happiest thing I've ever seen a dog do. Um, I have a, a, a dog that I'm like his doggy aunt, and I hadn't seen him in like two years, basically. And I finally got a chance to see him, and he just seemed so happy to see me. He knew it's a little you. bit biased because it's about being happy to see me, right. but he definitely looked happier than most dogs Gave you I've the full tail wag and everything. The like, ha, ah, ah, ha, like butt shaking. Yep, it was yep. wonderful. Oh, God. You heard her. Ha, ha, butt shaking. Yeah. <laughs> now, along that line, what about a monkey? What have you seen that monkeys do? I mean, we might be back in kind of sketchy territory because the happiest I've seen monkeys is when they're copulating. They're- oh, dumb down with that. <laughs> I mean, not with a monkey. 
Uh, does religion make people happier? Yes, but it's because of what religion causes people to do, which is that it causes people to be more connected, to pay attention to charity and do nice things for others, to take time to say grace and be grateful, and even to take time to contemplate and be mindful through things like prayer. So, What about singing? Singing as well. All right. Uh, is there a song that makes you happy? You, Dr. Santos. Is there a song that makes me happy? Um I'll say uh, there's lots of songs that make me happy. I really like uh, the songs that make me the most happy are the ones that are really cheesy that I can sing along to, like Bad, like Backstreet Boys and Sync. That's, mm-hmm. you know, secretly okay. what I really sure, love. That's You're great, great for a little lip syncing in, in, in your Baby uh, Shark is pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, do you have a happy place? Uh, my happy place right now is I have a room where I do yoga in my house, and I think that's my happy place. All right. All right. Would you trade? <laughs> okay, uh, 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 I, I confess this one's my question. You but, take but, it, Corey. No, no, Bill. Ahead, I want to. I want to see if you can ask it with a straight face. Um, would you trade ten years of your life for guaranteed happiness? Hmm. Ten years, not a year and a half. This is Corey up in the stakes, pretty good, pretty well. Yeah, ten, ten, ten years. This, I mean, is, it, this it, is playing God on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go no because I think science gives me the tools to achieve my happiness without the guarantee if I just put some work in. Wow, there you go. That's, that's your that is your mic drop moment. <laughs> <laughs> this has been just just a delight. This has, dare I say it, made me and a few of our listeners very happy. Yay. I'm happy too. Thank you, Dr. Santos, for taking the time to come on the podcast and enlighten us with things that, to your very first point, may not be common sense about happiness. Thanks so much for having me. So if you like Science Rules, and of course we hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out and helps other people learn about the show so that they too can turn it up loud. So thank you. And be sure to look at my socials, you know, the gram and, uh, and the Twitter uh, for when to call into the show. I'm at Bill Nye on, on all of those things. Meanwhile, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, give us a call. A voicemail, Corey. A voicemail, Lori. 201-472-0785. 201-472-0785. Remember, when it comes to the happy part of our universe... Science Rules. Now, Science Rules is produced by Harry Huggins and the very same Corey S. Powell. This episode was originally produced by Jordan Bell. Check out our new podcast called All American Tiger Woods. Our engineer today is Casey Halford, the very same Casey Halford who mixed this episode and composed our original theme. Josephine Martorano is our executive producer and at Stitcher, Science, Science Rules. Rules. From muddy jungle paths to snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder is ready to take you to some of the most phenomenal destinations on Earth. In a Pathfinder, it's more than just the arrival. The real excitement comes from the ride to get there. With seven drive modes, Pathfinder's available intelligent four-wheel drive is built for some of the most epic journeys. So chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures in the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Intelligent four-wheel drive cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions.